can't tell if the chemistry is good by looking at it. It wasn't clear yesterday. For the last time, the saltwater pool is a chlorine pool. This is the Talking Pools podcast with pool pros from every region in the country. If it happens in a pool, you'll hear about it here. Everything from tips and hacks to the latest tricks and trends, breaking news. We lay it on the line. We tell it like it is because we think you deserve to know. Hello, everybody, and happy Thursday. This is Wayne Ivasich at Talking Pools with Testing Thursdays with Wayne. Hope everybody has had a good week. Um, I didn't. <laughs> um, just a, a little brief um, review of what's been happening. Is um, um, in, in a nutshell, I threw my back out big time. Um, I thought it was a hip issue. Um, I don't know what it was. Uh, but it got so bad that yesterday was, um, let's go to the hospital day. Mm-hmm. Yes, and got to the point where I could barely stand, barely walk, all that nice, neat stuff. Don't get old. Uh, it doesn't help. And really, at the hospital, they really didn't do anything other than take some x-rays and tell me that, oh, you've got a lot of arthritis in your spine. Well, thank you very much. Like, I didn't know that. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, um, um, oxycodone to help with the pain is a good thing when it works and you do it right. And so I'm not completely pain-free right now, but let's just say it it's a little achy by just sitting down here and recording um, this particular podcast. So bear with me if I occasionally go, gah! or scream, you know, that kind of thing. So what are we going to talk about today? Well, um... I got thinking the other day, you know, it, I, I talk about testing pool water and, and testing spa water and, you know, and variations on the theme, but I never really get down into the, the area where a pool really isn't a pool. It's something else. And <clears throat> for those of you who are CPOs, are going to be pretty, pretty familiar with this. I'm going to talk about the different kinds of pools that there are out there. And if there are any challenges as far as uh, testing all the water chemistry parameters or water balance or whatever it is that, that you're testing for, is there anything unique or anything different that, that you need to be doing or be at least be aware of that would affect the results of your test, skew them you know, either high or low or, or whatever to the point where you kind of go, huh, that doesn't make any sense. So let's, let's go over them. It, it's called... Uh, classes of pools. Now, um, and your health local health department may call call us something else, but for this particular podcast, I'm going to be following uh, what's in the CPO manual as far as the kinds of pools, what classes they are. So, let's start right off from, from that. Class A pools. What's a class A pool? Okay. Now, by definition, it's any pool, uh, any body of water. That is used for um, uh, competitive aquatic events like uh, natatoriums, the college campuses, the Olympics, things of that and that nature. Um, that it, it's it's only to be used for these kind of events. Um, I would include diving. 
uh, in, in this category two diving pools. Um, some places, uh, some health departments in the country call it uh, competition pools, that kind of thing. So it's not your backyard, you know, um, in ground or above ground in tech pool or whatever. Um, it's, it's a true competitive pool. It's not your uh, local, you know, um, country club pool. It's, it's a competition pool. Um, so that's a class A pool. Going to go over these classes first. Class B pool. Okay, we've got A. A is competition. Class B pools. Um, these are the ones that are used for public recreational use. These are the ones that, you know, you pay a, a fee with every season and you get to sit by the pool and lounge and, and you have picnic lunches and bring the kids and things like that. Um, these are what are commonly called public pools, okay, um, that, you know, they open up to anybody pretty much. Then we have our class C pools. These kind of pools are, are a little bit different in, in that you're talking about pools that are like in apartment complexes, um, uh, condo uh, complexes, um, you know, um, homeowners associations run them, um, probably badly, but run them. Um, and um, also the kind of pools that you see at hotels and motels. Um, these are commonly called semi-public pools. And by, by semi-public, what I mean is, is that there's some organization to it that, that requires some kind of a fee involved, right? whether it's, you know, you're staying overnight in a hotel or whether you pay, you know, $6 a day or $10 a day, whatever you use the pool, that kind of thing. Then we have class D pools, uh, D as David. These are things like, oh, um, um, float tanks, splash pads, um, interactive water features. You see these kind of like gym-like uh, climbing apparatus on, on top of a, a, you know, a six inches of water. Um, aquatic playgrounds, that's another one, okay? Um, we call the we give them a different classification, not because they're at, you know generally they're they're still technically a pool, but it's what it's used for and who uses it. That's that's what the difference is. Then we have Class E as an Edward kind of pools. This is the one that I'm real familiar with: physical therapy pools. Okay, um, I had my right hip replaced back in August of 2012, and. Uh, part of my post-surgical therapy regimen was um, a therapy pool, getting in there because, you know, it, it, you're, you're, you're floating and takes, takes the weight off and things like that. You can move around a little bit more, more free, freely in, in underwater. And, of course, all the benefits associated with submersion. Yeah, I'm not even going to get to that. But anyhow, um, the, the, the PT people that I went to had a very small therapy pool. And when I mean by very small, I'm talking about this thing was 1,500 gallons. It was a lot. Um, it, and it could fit you, your your therapist, maybe a couple other people. That that was it. It had an underwater um, uh, treadmill, which I thought was cool as crap, and and a uh, underwater uh, bike, uh, stationary bike, which was great. And it really improved the therapy course that I went through way back then. 
Um, these are generally a little bit warmer water than what you would find in all of the other classes that I've already talked about. Uh, generally speaking, um, um, FINA and most of the other organizations, when they're asked, you know, what's, what's the ideal temperature, it's really personal preference. But generally speaking, 78 to 82 degrees is, is, is the easy range um, to, to remember. Um, jumping back um, to Class A pools, competitive pools, I used to be a uh, USSA swim official back in the day. Probably, oh gosh, I'd say my daughter's 36. She was doing this when she was 18. So, you know, almost 20 years ago. Did it for a couple of years. And one of the requirements for the for these level of, of, of competitions of, of swim meets and if any of you are officials, you know where I'm going on this. You can't have the water temperature colder than 78 or hotter than 82. Um, if it's above that, you cannot hold the competition. And, in fact, I have been to a couple swim meets where we've had to shut down the competition because the water could not be – the water temperature could not be regulated. And what happened with, with that was um, somebody screwed around with the heater or something like that. I really don't know the specifics, but I know somebody played with the heater. Um, because um, coaches and, and swimmers will tell you that at temperatures colder than 78 degrees Fahrenheit or, say, hotter than 82, impede the swimmer's ability to swim to the best of their abilities. Um, and in fact, um, uh, I know of some cases in which uh, the Olympic pools uh, had issues with water temperature. I mean, we all remember the one Olympic, um, I forgot where it was located. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, but remember the diving pool was green. Um, that, that's a whole different kind of issue. And, and the temperature was too warm, so they had to shut down and use another, another diving pool. But, but yeah, um, temperature-wise, uh, physical therapy pools are usually uh, closer to um, 86 to 90 degrees Fahrenheit with 30 degrees centigrade. Um, uh, and then that's classy pool. And then the final classes out there is wading pools, kiddie pools. These are the, 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 um, toilets <laughs> that I, you know, where I'm going in that room. Um, these are the ones that are maybe a foot and a half deep, maybe a foot deep, you know, all the same level, you know, all the way around kids and swim diapers and all that stuff. So, yeah, so we have essentially, you know, um, A, B, C, D, E, F. We've got six different classifications. Now, does not notice I didn't say the word spa in there because that's that's another animal, and we'll we'll talk about that one day. But um, do any of these pools have a need to be aware of testing issues? Um, well, let's take a look at it. When you're talking about Class A pools, competitive pools, uh, probably not, uh, because these are, for the most part, very well maintained because they have to be uh, in order for a meet to 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 take place. Uh, usually, these are the pretty pristine ones uh, we're all kind of familiar with, or, or have read about, or heard about in 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 our industry. Um, so it, it, there, there's no real need for changing your technique or your 
um, or whatever testing system you're using. Um, now, I will tell you that on this level of pool, Class A pools, 90% of the time you're going to have some kind of online testing system that will um, read out, you know, the obvious pH, sanitizer levels, things like that. Probably there's an ORP. Uh, there might even be some, you know, um, pH, uh, an acid feed system on there. It could could be a lot of different things added onto there. But but for the most part, these are all automated testing um, um, systems that that believe it or not to be to be verified and calibrated you're still going to need to use some kind of a of a test um a separate test a liquid usually a liquid uh what we call it wet chemistry test where you're adding a liquid reagents to a sample and you're you're getting a color that or something uh, or it's a titration but the these are the uh, the top level um uh, variations on the theme as far as testing is concerned. The Class B pool, um, this is you know the, the public pool, um, and I'm going to kind of lump Class B and Class C together, Class B public pool, Class C semi-public pool, um, shouldn't really have any issues as far as testing is concerned uh, unless the person doing the test has no clue. Uh, what they're doing, or does the test wrong, or uses old test kits, or, or you know bad test strips. Well, hopefully not test strips, um, as far as a recordable reading. But these type of pools are, are still governed by a local health department, and um, the local health department dictates um, what can be used, not be used. I I'm I'm still pretty positive that there's not a single county or state um, that allows the use of a test strip for a recordable test. However, using a test strip in between official reportable test readings is perfectly fine because that way you can tell whether or not your, your system is working. So it's, it's a good thing. Okay, uh, but as far as official um, readings are concerned, um, no, you can't use test strips. Quick and simple test. Yeah, I'm in the right right area. I'm, I'm headed in the good direction. Headed in a good direction with the test strip. Bingo, you got you got it made. Uh, but as far as you know, what would be considered normal test testing, standard testing, um, a wet chemistry test is fine. Most of these public and semi-public pools cannot afford the automation that a competitive pool would have. Uh, you know, automatic feed systems, um, uh, you know, uh, automatic testing, or you know, uh, all that. Some of them do, not many, because it's a cost. Uh, not only in purchasing the, the the units themselves, but also in in um, teaching people how to actually use the uh, Use the unit and know how to repair it if it needs fixing, and and know knows how to read um, whatever it is they're trying to test. Um, the next kind of um, class is um, class D. These are the special purpose. These are the um, splash pads, float tanks, things of that nature. Um, uh, it's it's 
it, it's going to depend. Now, um, if it's a splash pad, uh, and I'm, I'm going to lump the splash pad in with things like Class F pools, the waiting pools, uh, you still have to test them. They're still normally governed by by local health department if they're public or semi-public. So you still have to, to do your normal standard uh, operations for them, testing operations. <clears throat> Test strip is fine in between recordable tests. But as far as, you know, should I use this kit? Should I use that kit? Should I use this system, that system? It's, it's pretty much, you know, use whatever you can. To, that's going to give you a reliable, a consistent uh, test reading. Where it comes kind of wonky is flow tanks. And I know that my, my good friend and colleague, Roy Vore, uh, is on the board of the flow tank um, uh, group and has done a lot of research into flow tanks. And um, when they first started to come out in, in into the public, oh gosh, pre-COVID, so you're talking maybe 10 plus years ago, uh, I remember the, the, the two guys that kind of started this all approached several of the test kit companies asking them to help develop a, a test kit specifically for float tanks. Um, and, and, and the reason was is that part of making it a float tank is that you float. And in, in normal fill water, you don't float. <laughs> okay, you sink uh, to, to some degree. Um, so what they do is adds um, something called magnesium sulfate, magnesium salts to the water. Magne excuse me, magnesium chloride, not sulfate, magnesium chloride to the water at such an enormously high level that it's kind of like, you know, the, the, the Dead Sea um, in the Middle East. It, it's got so much salt in there that you float. You, you can't drown. It, it, you just float on the surface. Even somebody my size will float on the surface. Now, the problem with that is chemically is that the only test that will give you an accurate answer in when testing float tank water is pH. A pH is, 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 is accurate. Anything else, alkalinity, hardness, sanitizer, you know, whatever, whatever you're testing for is not going to be able to be read because of, of the magnesium chloride levels being in the tens and thousands of parts per million. It just simply, it, it does weird and wonky things and doesn't even come close to a right answer. We did, when I was a tailor, they did a lot of research, our, our, Q, our quality control department, a lot of tests on this and, and um, that showed where, no, no, pH is the only thing. Uh, even probes, uh, you know, electronics, you, you can't use it. So a lot of times <clears throat> when these things first came out and first popped up, I get calls from health departments uh, or even owner operators of the flu tank locations is like, how am I going to be able to test this water to see if it's safe? It's good. See if it's got sanitizer in it. What, what, what do I do basically? Well, try, you know, you think through this and you go, okay, what, well, what can we do? What can't we do? And what can we do? So, okay, we can't use the water that's in the flow tank. What, what can we do? So I said, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you test the water that's incoming from whatever source it is? And if that water is of a is is fine, is good, is within whatever parameters you've set up, then you know that at least that portion 
is is good. Okay, pH is fine, alkalinity, hardness, sanitizer, that kind of thing. And all you're doing is adding, you know, a ton and a half of, of magnesium chloride uh, in there to create the float effect. And then, then that way, at least you know what's going in is okay. Um, and I would say for the for the most part, health officials and float tank operators, I said, yeah, that makes sense. That's because that's the only thing you can do chemically. Um, and, uh, turns out that, that, you know, it, it is the only way really to, to test for it. Now that doesn't mean that something's going to come down the pike, uh, and compensate for that high level of magnesium, uh, chloride, um, in the water. Who knows? Um, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow, but right now it's, that's really the only way to do it. Um, because, you know, health departments want to make sure the water is safe for people to get in. Um, and, and and God bless them, you know, go for it. That, that's fine. But you know, the, 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 the the actual reality of the situation, the practical application is that you can't get there from here easily. You can kind of back into it, but uh, you can't do direct reading. Um, the other th- question I always used to get was, how often should you drain the water in, in a float tank? Um, and my question was, well, well my response was, uh, well, you know, it's like a hot tub. Um, uh, it's, it's basically bath water. And what do you do after you finish taking a bath? Ta-da, ta-da. You know, you drain the water. So I said I would want my flow tank location to have that water drained in between every user. Okay. Then reality comes into, into play. And the flow tank people go, we can't do that. That, 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 you know, it costs money. You know, we can't re- refresh it with all the magnesium chloride in there. Um, what one flow tank operator told me is that they change out the water in, in the flow tanks every five days. That's better than every month um, or every two months. Uh, but still, you know, I would not get in a flow tank unless the water was fresh. But that's me. Mm, yeah. Um, I like like to swim in, in water and not other people's bath water. Um, now that add to that the temperature, okay, and and like you probably heard me say over over the years, remember any any water temperature, any sample temperature greater than ninety degrees Fahrenheit um, is basically you're cooking the reagents. And in fact, this came up the other day uh, when I got an email from a friend of mine who is a, a health official in Texas. And she asked me, you know, I remember you telling me something about temperature and testing. And it's like, yeah, mm -hmm, let me send you this. And yeah, anything over 90 degrees, um, it it will, will cook the reagent and you're going to get some really weird, strange color development. Um, any temperatures under 50 degrees, um, not necessarily weird colors, but that the the colder temperature slows down chemical reactions and you're not going to get as fast of an answer as you would think. That's why I tell people if you're dealing with like plunge tanks um, and um, um, hotter water environments, you know, collect your sample, let it sit in an opaque container with a lid on it for a couple of minutes and let it cool down. It will cool down quickly in a smaller uh, volume than it would be in the actual, you know, unit itself. And then go ahead and test. Um, then, then you'll get a, a, a good, reliable answer, but you can't take that 
that reading right away. And I, and I know I mentioned uh, plunge tanks and things like that. And um, I did a podcast on it, I think a couple of weeks ago about uh, plunge tanks, um, cold plunge tanks, because, you know, they really didn't exist um, uh, in, in the real world. Um, not a year ago or maybe two years ago, they started becoming popular uh, and not just for um, athletes, uh, sporting teams, things of that nature, but for, you know, regular Joe uh, kind of people who uh, wanted to have one at home or people who are really you know, gym, gym fanatics and, and want to have that um, extra little piece of equipment to help them get going. So um, I think I've hit everything. Uh, the one thing I want to leave you with today for, for this podcast is uh, when you're dealing with, with kiddie pools and wading pools and things of that nature, you've got to be really, really careful, obviously, um, uh, because of all the potential for uh, fecal contamination and peeing in the pool and, and all this stuff. Because those little kids, I always tell people when, when I was giving the classes that um, the, 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 the biggest lie in our industry that comprised two words, and that was swim diapers. <laughs> yeah, just no, they don't really work well. But anyhow, um, that's pretty much it for today. Um, I hope I've given you some stuff to think about. Um, if you do have a question and would like one of us in the talking pools, uh, faculty, hell, oh, cool, I call ourselves faculty. I answer it. It doesn't have to be chemistry related. It could be testing related. It could be anything, operations, management, whatever. Um, and we feature that, uh, email and answer on one of our podcasts. You will win a prize. Da, 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 da. And what is, what is in our prize bag today, Mr. Wayne? Well, we've got our infamous what the flock um, hat that I am currently putting in my head. Um, and uh, we have a wonderful uh, picture of our, um, of our corporate symbol, Talking Pools Podcast, a water drop on top of a microphone with the phrase, what the flock, um, sitting quite nicely on there. And it's a medium to dark gray cap and very, very comfortable. Um, but, but yeah, we will do that. And uh, we will contact you, of course. Let you know we're going to do that. Get your shipping address and things like that. But if you if you're going to do that uh, and you, you think you got a good question for us, send it to talkingpools at gmail.com. That's talkingpools at gmail.com. And um, uh, when we we when we get it, um, uh, Rudy will look at it and see who we should go to for for um, an answer and take it from there so uh i hope everybody has a, a, a great week and uh you're all safe and healthy and stuff like that uh send good juju and, and thoughts my way on my lower back because right now i'm sitting and i don't plan to get up anytime soon unless i want to scream like a little girl no offense uh, so take care guys and gals have a have a great week and i'll be talking at you next thursday bye-bye
I just wanted to take a minute to say thank you for listening today. I'm hoping you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed putting it together for you. Listen, it's been a couple of wacky, crazy, screwed up years from pandemic to Poolmageddon. I just want you to know that we are all in this together. If there's anything that we can do for you, send me an email at talkingpools at gmail.com. Again, that's talkingpools at gmail.com. We're here. This is your podcast. We are the Pool People's Podcast of the Pool People for the Pool People by the Pool People's Podcast. This one is about you. So thank you for tuning in and listening. Do me a favor. Click subscribe before you go. That way you don't miss an episode. 